If you'd like to turn in your pew Bibles, we'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 today. But before we read those verses, I'd like to add just a little commentary on the 16th chapter of Mark, because it's kind of interesting. You'll notice Mark's Gospel actually goes to verse 20, although those last verses, verses 9 through 20, are contested as to whether they should even be included in the Bible at all as part of Mark's Gospel. I say they're contested because you'll notice in verse 8 when we read it in a bit that Mark's gospel ends very abruptly, very immediately, just like the rest of how, how the rest of his gospel reads. And so at some point, biblical scholars believe sometime in the 2nd and 3rd century, those final verses, verses 9 through 20, were written into Mark's gospel as an addition to help it to end more completely or to help it... Uh, finish telling the story as the other Gospels did because it did uh, end so abruptly and differently. We believe that those verses were added because there are theologians and scholars from the first century and around that time that in their writings they do not refer to Mark's Gospel beyond verse 8. And so at some point in the second and third century these verses were added by someone And so we read them today, they're in our Gospels today, but we question as to who wrote them and to when they were written and to why they were included. But let's see first what Mark chapter 16 verse 1 through 8 says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb They were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go. Tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It was Sunday. Out of the darkness of night comes the light of the morning. Darkness like the dark existed before there was light, before God spoke and created the stars, the sun, the moon, and brought light into the world, darkness. Like the darkness that existed when the angel of the Lord passed over the land of Egypt that Passover night, as the Hebrew people silently waited for the angel to pass over their home, And then they waited expectantly for the first light of day to appear darkness. It was like the darkness that fell over the land just two short days before as Jesus had cried out to his God and then offered up his spirit and in doing so, darkness. Out of the darkness came the light of that Sunday morning. That Sunday The disciples were gathered in a home wondering what was next. As they sat there behind closed doors that were locked and barred, they wondered in fear if what had just happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. 
Yesterday was the Sabbath, so they knew on that day they were in relative safety due to the nature of the day as a day of worship and of rest. But today, today is Sunday. And so they wait in fear. And as they wait, they wonder, am I going to be next? Will they be the next one to be arrested? Will I be the next one to be put on the same puppet trial? Will I be the next one to be unjustly crucified as a spectacle for the crowds? Which one is going to be next? Which one was going to betray the others for freedom or for silver? They sat that Sunday and wondered if today was their day. Where were they to go? What were they to do? It was Sunday. The chief priests woke up pleased that they had quieted the voice of that dissident, that blasphemer, Jesus, who had the gall to speak out against them and the way that they were operating the temple. He had the brashness to overturn the tables in the court of the Gentiles where money was changed and the doves were sold for sacrifice and funds were raised for them. And then some were calling him the Messiah. The Messiah? The anointed one of God? The deliverer of all of Israel? There was no way that he could be the Messiah. It was Sunday. Pilate woke up and it it was just another day. A day of overseeing this out-of-the-way, never-noticed province of Rome. Never noticed until an uprising occurs. And the legion has to be sent in. Which is why he permitted that man, that Jesus, to be crucified just two days before. He'd question him. He really hadn't done anything that warranted that level of punishment. But to offer any other punishment less than death would have resulted in the dignitaries from the leadership of Jerusalem going to Syria, to the regional governor, to complain about Pilate and to request that another come to oversee their region. Yes, it was worth it. It was worth putting that man to death with the criminals to guarantee another time of peace in Jerusalem. It was Sunday. The woman had left the home where they had spent the Sabbath with the disciples and the other followers of Jesus. Due to the Sabbath, they were unable to anoint the body of Jesus after his death. So they head now to his tomb, having bought the spices to cover the odors of decay in the climate of Jerusalem. They've come to restore some bit of dignity to their son and friend after his humiliating death on the cross. See, I picture these women walking quietly as the sun slowly comes up over the mountains, bathing the light, the land in its light. And as they near the tomb, outside the walls of Jerusalem, one of them wonders, how are we going to get to the body? 
The tomb has been sealed with a large rock to keep the body safe. The women don't know, like Matthew's gospel says, that the tomb has actually been sealed with clay placed around the crack between the large stone and the walls of the cave to show that it has not been tampered with. But as they're walking with their faces downward, watching their feet connect with the ground, they approach and they look up and see that the stone has been rolled away. And they're filled with fear. They're filled with fear. Fear. Fear's not an emotion that you or I normally associate with this day, this Easter day. We approach this day with joy and with expectation and with celebration because of what God has done. But we forget We forget in our joy and celebration and excitement that on that first Easter day, on that first Easter day, the women approached the tomb with fear because they didn't anticipate, they did not expect a resurrection that day. They did not approach the tomb expecting to serve as witnesses to the action of God. They came to spend time with the dead. And so they're filled with fear. And it's in their fear and out of their fear and consumed with their fear that they approach the tomb. And in their fear they slowly enter to that space that has been carved there in the rock to hold the dead. And they find life. They find that the tomb is empty. Instead of finding the body of Jesus, they find a young man dressed in a long white robe who tells them, do not be afraid. The one you're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, is no longer here. He's risen. He has been resurrected. He has been given life and he has conquered death. And then the angel tells the women to pause. To look and to see so that they can go and tell others. In Mark's gospel, these three women, Mary, mother of James, Mary Magdalene, and Salome, are the ones who are entrusted with the most important message that this world has ever seen or heard. They're the ones who are to take the news of the risen Christ to Peter and to the rest of the disciples. In fact, the angel is very specific. He says, go, tell his disciples, especially Peter. They're the ones that are to carry this message of life and of love to the world as they have witnessed the miracle of Christ's resurrection But then verse 8 says they flee. They're filled with terror and dread and fear and they flee. And that's how Mark's Gospel ends. The women flee and Mark writes that they tell no one out of their fear. 
They flee. We don't know where they go, although my assumption is that they go back to the house where Peter and the twelve are gathered and they go where, you know, to the community and family that they have who have gone through these past few days with them. But we don't know where they went. But what we do know is that the message that they had been entrusted with got out. See, the empty tomb was not the stopping place for the women. It wasn't the place that they gathered at and said, great, we're here, we're never going to leave. It wasn't the place that Jesus met them at where He said, go, get Peter and the twelve, bring everyone here so you all can see Me. This is where I want you to be. This is where the resurrection was to occur. And this is where I want them to meet Me. See, the tomb was not the stopping place for the women. And it's not the stopping place for us. We come to the tomb out of our hope that we've placed in God. We come to the tomb out of celebration for God's action in resurrecting His Son, Jesus Christ. We come to the tomb out of love for it is in the death and resurrection of Christ that God's love is made evident to us. We come to celebrate and to share, to be renewed, to be refreshed, and then we go. We go out into the world to live lives worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we go, we go from the tomb to tell others, to help others, to serve others. We go from the tomb to grow in our love of God and in our growing love of others. We go from the tomb because the tomb is not the final place where you and I are supposed to encounter the resurrected Christ. Because we encounter the resurrected Christ in life, in the life that we live in the life that we share, in the life that we embrace. And so we flee the tomb. Not out of our fear, but out of hope and joy and promise. We flee the tomb to find that life, to live that life, to grow in our love of God and others and in our service. We flee the tomb on Easter Sunday because we do pause We do remember. We do look around. And then we go. Because God doesn't meet us in the tomb. God meets us in the life that we live, in the life that we love, and in the life that we share with others. We flee from the tomb because God is not done with this world. Just like God is not done with us. We come to the tomb to remember and to celebrate and to share with one another and then we go. Because the life that God gives us, the life that we share, happens out in the world. And that's where we encounter the risen Christ. And so on this Easter Sunday, I pray that we can go out into this world to encounter the risen Christ in our lives and in the lives of others as we share, as we offer the love that God has given us, and as we live the life that He has blessed us with. Amen.